Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather together, to learn from your word, um, to be equipped, Lord, to be equipped to lead our hearts. We pray that uh, you would just open our eyes to what's in your word and give us discernment and, um, and equip us for the Christian life. And we thank you for your grace and amen. All right, so today we are doing part four of our series called How to Lead Your Heart. And today's sermon is called Understanding Emotions, part one. So um, I'll give an overview of this series like I typically do. So this series is an attempt to make a foundationally comprehensive training course on how to lead your heart. The idea is, um, you know, hopefully this will have everything you need to be able to, in general, lead your heart in life. The way we define heart for the purpose of this series is your heart is the part of you that has beliefs, desires, intentions, and emotions. If you would like to know more about that definition, you can listen to part one of the series on our website. Um, but everyone is called to lead their heart as a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're called to lead your heart. Let's look at Proverbs 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Your heart affects every single thing in your life, every single choice you make, and the quality of your life. And you need to learn to lead it, to watch over it, to manage it. So uh, the way I have this series structured, there's various habits that a person needs to have. And if they have these habits, they'll be equipped to lead their heart. So um, the first habit we went over was you need to be in the habit of having an attitude of intentionality and responsibility about leading your heart. You need to realize that it's something you're called to do, you're responsible for, and you need to be intentional about it. The second habit, the habit we're focusing on at this point in the series, habit two, is you need to be in the habit of discerning and judging what's in your heart. So there's plenty of things in your heart, and you need to be able to discern or figure out what, what is in your heart. What do you believe? What, what do you feel? What do you desire? You need to be able to discern what that is. You need to be able to judge it, to discern whether or not it's good or bad, helpful or unhelpful. So that's where we are in this series. Um, so today's sermon, Understanding Emotions, this... This aspect of habit two will probably be a few parts, but today's goal is to get a good understanding of various emotions that are common, that you know, everyone has, and understand what makes them good or bad, what makes them helpful or unhelpful. Because God designed our emotions, and God designed humans, and it was good. None of our emotions are sinful in and of themselves, but the way we handle them can be corrupt. And they can be corrupt sometimes. But that is the goal of this part. So today we're only going to have time to talk about two of them. Uh, we're going to talk about anger and we're going to talk about fear. Believe it or not, anger and fear can both be good. But we need to know why. How are they good? What makes them bad? What causes them? All right, so we're going to start with anger. 
And, you know, there's three things we're going to talk about. Um, what causes it, what makes it good, and what makes it bad. So what causes anger? Anger is our emotional response to perceived injustice that we desire to be changed, stopped, or made right. Anger is our emotional response to perceived injustice that we desire to be changed, stopped, or made right. Um, I put perceived because sometimes we perceive injustice that isn't actually happening. And that will still make us angry, typically. I also think it's important to point out not just any injustice we perceive, but injustice we perceive that we desire to be changed or stopped or made right. You know, sometimes we perceive injustice and we don't necessarily desire to see it changed, and that won't make us angry. When I was a kid, I would steal things from my brothers, and I perceived it as injustice, but it didn't make me angry because I didn't desire to see it changed or made right. That wasn't on my agenda. So anger is our emotional response to perceived injustice that we desire to see changed, stopped, or made right. How can anger be good? Um, there's a few things that make it so that anger can be good. You know, anger is part of God's design. God made it for a reason. And if you haven't noticed it before, I'm sure you have, God gets angry. In the scriptures, God gets angry, and we're made in his image. So we have the capacity to get angry. Uh, but there's a few things that make it so that anger can be good. Number one, anger can help provide needed motivation. You know, sometimes something needs done, either in your life or someone else's, and it can be easy to, for one reason or another, not have the motivation to do anything about it. But anger provides motivation. Number two, anger can help us take courage in the face of fear. Sometimes there's injustices that need to be stopped, and they can be scary to go up against. But anger can help provide courage in the face of fear. The third thing I want to mention, anger can be loving, and it's part of God's design. So if we responded to perceived injustice by not caring or with indifference, that wouldn't be loving or just. God is loving and just, so he responds emotionally to injustice with anger, and that's good. That's part of God's perfection. If God didn't respond to injustice with anger, he wouldn't be who he is. He wouldn't be just. He wouldn't be loving. He wouldn't be his perfect self. It is good that God responds to injustice with anger. And God made us to be righteous like he is. So when he designed us in his image, he designed us to respond to perceived injustice with anger. And that's good, and that's necessary for being loving.
So anger can be good. Anger is part of God's good design. But we all know anger can be bad. And that's what we're more familiar with. But what makes anger bad? How can you discern, you know, if you get angry at a given point in the day, how can you discern whether or not your anger is good or bad or helpful or unhelpful? Uh, Hopefully this will help with that. So there's five things that I have, a list of five things that can make anger bad. Number one, anger becomes an issue if it controls us instead of us controlling it. You know, we looked last week at how Christians shouldn't be enslaved by anything. Paul said, you know, I can do all things or all things um, are legal, but not all things are profitable. And that he wouldn't be enslaved by anything. Anything that enslaves us is a problem because you can't serve two masters. And no one, only Christ has Christ's agenda. So if you're enslaved to anger and enslaved to Christ, you won't be carrying out Christ's agenda. James said, anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. The main way... um, to look for whether or not anger is controlling us is if, if our anger drives us to act unloving. You know, if, if your kids are fighting against each other and like hitting each other, punching each other, taking things, and that makes you angry, that's good because you love your kids. You don't want them to be punched. You don't want them to be kicked. But if you respond to it by punching them and kicking them, That's unloving. You're letting anger control you. Anger becomes an issue if it controls us instead of us controlling it. And the primary way to look for that is if anger drives us to act unloving. If our anger is driving us to act unloving, then that is a problem, and we have a problem controlling our anger. The second way anger can be a problem Anger becomes an issue if we are quick to get angry. So throughout the scriptures, uh, the scriptures say that we should be slow to anger, and they say that God is slow to anger. Uh, We don't have time to look at all the verses that mention that, so I'm just going to point out two of them that touch on it. Uh, Let's look at James 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's also look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and 5. David, I forgot to put 4 in the outline. Can you pull up 4 and 5? Um, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I want to focus on that word irritable. What does it mean to be irritable? It means you get angry easily. Being irritable means you get angry easily. And getting angry easily is the same thing as being quick to anger. Being quick to get angry is a fruit of being too focused on ourselves. Because love isn't quick to anger. 
Love does sometimes demand anger, but love isn't quick to anger. Being quick to get angry is a fruit of being too focused on ourselves. How many selfless and loving people do you know who are very quick to be angry? Probably not many. Because the more you think about yourself, the easier it is to be focused on the wrong things done against you. So the second way that anger becomes an issue is if you know, we're quick to be angry. Number three, anger becomes an issue if we're angry all the time. So again, anger is part of love. It's a good thing. It's designed by God. But anger becomes an issue if we're angry all the time. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verse 26. Don't sin by letting your anger control you. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. So what that means is, um, you know, don't just stay angry all the time. Don't stay angry for about a certain thing for more than 24 hours in a row. If you're just angry and you're not doing anything about it, and it's just anger that's just stirring and stirring and stirring and stirring and not going anywhere, that's a problem. Not only that, anger can be a burden, and it's not something we're designed to experience all the time. Let's look at Proverbs 14.30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy rots the bones. It's hard to have a calm or a tranquil heart if you're angry all the time. Being angry all the time makes life hard to live with. It's been found, you know, uh, by doctors that the long-term physical effects of uncontrolled anger include increased anxiety, high blood pressure, and headaches. It's, you know, it's a well-accepted fact that it's not physically healthy to be angry all the time. And, you know, when we have anger, we're sub- anger should drive people to do things. Anger is a motivating emotion. But you should either try to resolve the issue you have with the person you're angry at, and you need to forgive them either way. But if you're just letting anger stir up and doing nothing about it, you know, that somewhat defeats the purpose of being angry, you could say. But we shouldn't be angry all the time. So number four of how anger can become an issue. Uh, Anger becomes an issue if our anger is unjust or uncalled for. So anger is a response to perceived injustice, but sometimes our perception is wrong. And therefore, sometimes our anger can be unjust or uncalled for. Um, The biggest example of this I want to look at, you know, if we're mad at God for being God and for doing what he chooses to do, that is unjust anger. 
That is wrong of us. It's wrong because we're saying in our hearts that God committed sin. God messed up. God did something he shouldn't have done. And saying that God messed up, saying in our hearts that God sinned, is sinful because it's doubting God and because it's pride. It's saying, I know better than God. God messed up. He should have done it my way. And that's pride. So if we're mad at God for being God and for choosing what he chooses, that's wrong of us. Another way that our anger could be uncalled for, you know, if we're angry at someone for something they think they did, but they didn't actually do, you know, that happens to everyone. We've all been angry at a few people for things we thought they did, but they didn't do. That can be a problem. We need to be careful about that. We don't want to have anger that's uncalled for. If my stapler goes missing and I'm really mad at my coworker about it, but they didn't actually take it, that's a problem. Anger is good, but we need to watch out for unjust and uncalled for anger, and that's uncalled for. If Teresa's, you know, out, you know, taking Jeremiah somewhere and she's stopping back and picking up food and she doesn't get me anything and I'm mad because I think she did it on purpose, that's a problem. Because I'm assuming something about her motives that I don't know. And she probably didn't do it on purpose. And I'm probably mad at her for something she didn't actually do. Namely, purposefully not getting me food. So anger can be a problem if we're getting angry about things that didn't actually happen. And that happens to all of us. We need to be careful about that. Another way our anger can be uncalled for or unjust is if we're angry at others for doing something that's not wrong. If we're angry at others for doing something that they have a right to do. If I'm mad at someone for not giving me something that belongs to them, That's unjust anger. It's just based on my selfishness. If I see Stephen with a sandwich and I want him to give me his sandwich and I get mad at him for not giving me his sandwich, that's a problem because that's not unjust. He has a right to eat his own sandwich and I shouldn't be mad about it. You know, if I'm mad over something like that, I'm not mad about the idea of Stephen breaking God's law. I'm mad because Stephen's breaking my law, that other people need to serve me. So anger um, can be a problem if we're angry with others for doing things that aren't wrong. Because that's... That just comes out of our own selfishness. The fifth way to discern if anger is becoming a problem. um, Anger becomes an issue if our anger is disproportionate to the injustice that was done. 
anger becomes an issue, if our anger is disproportionate uh, to the injustice that was done, or if, if it's a real injustice but we're more angry than we should be about it, that's a problem. So if someone spits in your face and you're mad about it, that's fine. You know, you have a right to be mad about that as long as you handle it well. If they spit in your face, that was wrong of them. I'm sure they have some negative intention behind that that's not just. But if someone spits in your face and you're so angry about it that you think they should die for it, that's a problem. You know, if, if someone spits in my face and I'm so mad that I feel like they should die for it, even if I contain myself and refrain from retaliating, just being that angry about it is wrong because it shows that there's deeper heart issues. Being that angry about it would only come from thinking that I'm more important than others. And that therefore sins against me are worse than sins against others. Because if someone spit in my face and I was so angry that I wanted them to die for it, I typically, I probably wouldn't feel that way if they spit in someone else's face. I'd probably be like, well, that's their problem. So that shows that it, the only reason I would get that angry about that is because I feel like I'm more important than other people. That proves that in my heart I believe I'm more important than other people, and that's pride. So anger becomes an issue if it's disproportionate to the injustice that was done. If you get more, if you're angry about injustices that are real injustices, but you're unreasonably angry about them, you're more angry about them than, you know, what's appropriate for the thing that was done, that shows that there's deeper heart issues. Anger becomes an issue if our anger is disproportionate to the injustice that was done. So hopefully that helps with, um, you know, examining anger and discerning whether or not your anger is helpful or unhelpful, or whether or not it's good or bad. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is fear. If we want to be able to lead our hearts, it's helpful to understand fear and how fear works. So, you know, we're going to talk about the same three things. What causes fear? What makes it so that fear is good? And what makes it so that fear is bad? So what causes fear? Fear happens when you believe that if a certain thing were to happen, it would be bad. And you also believe that there's a reasonable chance that it might happen. And if you remove either one, fear will go away. So I believe that if I was walking home and someone shot me, that would be bad. I would not be happy about that. But I don't really think there's a reasonable chance that it's going to happen which is why I don't feel afraid of it. I also think there's a reasonable chance that I'm going to eat lunch today, but I don't believe that would be bad, so I'm also not afraid of that. Fear happens when you believe that if a certain thing were to happen, it would be bad, and you also believe there's a reasonable chance that it will happen. 
And if you remove either one, fear goes away. But anyways, uh, how can fear be good? There's a few reasons why fear can be good. Um, number one, fear can motivate us to avoid pointless risks and dangers. Note that I said pointless risks because you have to take risks in life or you'll never accomplish anything. But we shouldn't take pointless risks, risks without reward. Um, you know, driving 150 miles per hour on a motorcycle, that's a pointless risk. Fear should motivate us to not do that. You know, working on rooftops without being careful and without, you know, taking precautions and just being careless, you know, that's not good. Fear should motivate us to be careful and cautious while doing stuff like that. You know, there's a bunch of things I could mention. There's all kinds of stupid ways to die as a human. There's a bunch of stupid ways to die. You can find at least half of them on YouTube. But fear is meant to protect us from that. Fear is meant to prevent that. Fear is supposed to protect us from our own stupidity. Second reason fear can be good. Fear can motivate us to take immediate action in a situation that requires it. If you're driving and you suddenly realize that there's an un oncoming car in your lane, that requires immediate action. And your fear will motivate you to take immediate action. You know, if, if you're in a building and there's an active shooter, fear will motivate you to take immediate action whether that action be running or attempting to do something about it, fear will motivate you to take immediate action. Sometimes they're not such blatant life and death situations. An addiction that's getting out of control. Fear can motivate you to take immediate action. You know, if a person's life is being ruined by a gambling addiction that's just getting worse and worse, and they start to realize that if it continues, it's going to take away all their money and ruin their family, that will cause fear. And that fear can motivate them to take immediate action. Instead of just telling, your, you know, telling themselves what we all tell ourselves, I'll get to it next week. So that's the second way fear can be good. It can motivate us to take immediate action in a situation that requires it. The third way fear can be good is, you know, we have the capacity to have a healthy fear of God. The scriptures talk uh, many times about having a fear of God and how that's a good thing. Uh, we don't have time to look at all of them, but let's look at Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, you know, throughout the scriptures, it's clear that we should fear God. But we're, we're supposed to fear him and trust him. So that, that might seem a bit complicated, but to fear him and trust him, that involves trusting him to be good to us and that obedience to him is in our best interest but it also involves understanding that God is just and God is not to be tested or taken lightly. 
Fearing God means understanding that there is always consequences for sin, and there will always be more significant than whatever pleasure or benefit said sin may lead to. That's what it means to have fear of God. To believe that sin always has consequences and that they're always going to be more significant than whatever benefit the sin may lead to. To believe that it won't be worth it. So we should have a healthy fear of God. And that's one way in which fear can be good. The fourth way in which fear can be good, you know, sometimes love causes us to have fear for other people. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 29. So in this part of um, 2 Corinthians, you know, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about his, um, what, what's the word for it? He's defending his apostleship and, uh, and he's talking about his credentials as to why he's an apostle. Um, but anyways, he's, at this point, he's talking about all the suffering he's gone through. Three times a day I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Apart from all those things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Paul had concern, you know, for the churches out of his love for them. Paul had such a great love for the churches that he was involved in planting, you know, it caused him worry. It caused him concern. Sometimes love causes us to have fear for other people, for their sakes. But anyways, uh, the last thing of how fear can be good, you know, God designed our ability to fear, and it is, in and of itself, good. It can be corrupt like anything by sin, but in and of itself, our ability to fear is good. It's designed for our protection, and it's designed to be reasonable. Nevertheless, sin makes us unreasonable. And therefore, uh, you know, our fear-based system, our, our thinking that leads to fear becomes unreasonable often. And that's where we run into problems. So we talked about what causes fear and how fear can be good. Now let's talk about how fear can be bad. Number one, fear becomes an issue when we allow it to control us. You might see some similarities in these lists between anger and fear and what makes a given thing bad. Um, 
But like anger, fear becomes an issue when we allow it to control us. How can you tell whether or not fear is controlling you? When we allow it to keep us from obeying God, then we're allowing fear to control us. You know, if, if there's a person um, that God wants you to share the gospel with and you avoid doing it out of fear, that's a problem. That's letting fear control you. If there's a life choice that God is leading you to make, but you don't do it out of fear, that's a problem. That's letting fear control us. You know, as Christians in community, we're called to rebuke each other for our sins. But sometimes that can be scary, and we might avoid it out of fear. And that's unloving, and that's letting fear control us. Sometimes we might tell lies to others because of fear. We might be embarrassed about something and just lie about it. And that's letting fear control us. Anytime that we allow fear to cause us to sin, we fear that thing, whatever we're afraid of, more than we fear God. And that's a problem. We're probably letting fear control us if we're allowing fear to keep us from making wise choices, even if it's not an area of obedience versus disobedience. A person might avoid pursuing a good vocation because they have fear of failure. You know, that's letting fear keep you from making a wise choice. That's a sign that you're letting fear control you. A person might not pursue good ministry opportunities because of fear of failure. You know, that's a sign that we're letting fear control us. We might be avoiding taking reasonable risks. Usually anything really worth doing involves risk. There's a lot of money to be made investing, but investing involves risks. You know, there's plenty of good major life decisions that would be greatly beneficial, but they also involve a great amount of risk. And if we're not taking reasonable risks out of fear, then we're letting fear control us. So that's the first way fear can be a problem. If fear is controlling us, that's a problem. Second way fear can be a problem. Fear becomes an issue when we're afraid of things we shouldn't be afraid of. You know, fear is supposed to protect us and it's supposed to be reasonable, but sometimes our fears are unreasonable. It's very easy to have unrealistic fears. And fears that aren't based in reality can be a real pain, especially if they're reoccurring. But the problem is it's hard to see when your fears aren't reasonable or when they aren't actually plausible or likely to happen. There are a lot of great employees who are frequently afraid that they're going to get fired. There's a lot of very likable people who are constantly afraid that no one will like them. There's a lot of people with trustworthy friends who are constantly worried that their friends will betray them or hurt them. It's easy, um, especially when if we start if we have you know bad experiences or traumatic experiences and we start to focus on them uh, more than we should. It's very easy to start having unrealistic fears. 
fears of things that aren't likely to happen. And therefore, you know, fears of things we shouldn't be afraid of. The main thing I want to say about that is that you should never assume that your fears are correct. You should never assume your fears are correct. They might be correct, and they might not be correct, but you should never assume that they are. You should examine fear when fear comes up in your life, and you should ask yourself, is this actually likely to happen? Is this plausible? Is there actually a reasonable chance this will happen? Or am I, am I just being afraid of this for no good reason? A huge part, one of the biggest parts of learning to lead your heart is to just learn to examine your thoughts and emotions and question whether or not they're correct. Just to examine your thoughts and emotions and question whether or not they're correct. If you're not regularly questioning your thoughts and emotions, whether or not they're correct, then it's quite likely that you're letting your heart lead you instead of trying to lead your heart. So again, your fears might be reasonable and they might not be, but you should never just assume that they are. You should always examine it and question it. Number three, fear becomes an issue when we are more afraid of something than we should be. So this happens when, you know, something is plausibly realistic that it could happen, but we think it would be, or feel like it would be much worse than it actually would be if it happened. You know, you might be deathly afraid of public speaking um, or of making a mistake while public speaking, like I used to be. You know, it's very realistic that I'll make a mistake while speaking. I probably made five mispronunciations today already. But the idea that it'd be like the end of my life is greatly exaggerated. Amen. Terribly unrealistic. You know, a person might be extremely afraid of being open with their friends about their struggles. That can be easy to do. It can be easy to be afraid of things that plausibly could happen, but to really exaggerate how bad it would be if they did happen. And that causes us to be more afraid of them when we, than we should be. And that's one way in which fear becomes an issue. We have to learn to question our fears. You know, we should, be, we should ask ourselves, would it really be that bad if this thing happened? Would it really be that bad if I made a mistake while giving a speech? Would I, my life be ruined if I got laughed off the stage? A, that probably won't happen. I'm, I will make mistakes while speaking, but I don't think I'll be laughed off the stage over it. But it's very easy to be afraid of that. And moreover, my life won't be ruined. But it's very easy to be afraid of that. You know, we need to ask ourselves, would it really be as bad as I feel like it would if the thing that I'm afraid of happened? Would it really ruin my friendships if I was open with my friends about my struggles? Would they really stop caring about me? We have to ask ourselves, would it really be as bad as I feel like it would if the thing I'm afraid of happened? The ability to fear is good, God made it, but it's very easy to become afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of, 
or to be more afraid than we should be of things that plausibly could happen. And those are ways in which fear becomes an issue. The fourth way in which fear becomes an issue. Fear becomes an issue when our fears come from us looking at life without taking God into account or when they come from doubting him. When our fears come from forgetting God or from doubting God, then our fears are dishonoring to him. They're insulting to him. Let's look at two verses. Let's look at Joshua, verses, uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Have I not commanded you, you know, God speaking to Joshua, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord God is with you wherever you go. Joshua was about to go to war. God didn't say, um, don't be afraid. It's not very likely that people die in war. That wouldn't have been true. That's not why he said, don't be afraid. He didn't say, don't be afraid even though you're going out to war. It wouldn't be that bad if you died. That's not what God told him. God said, don't be afraid because I, God, am with you wherever you go. Because God was going to protect him. God was going to give him the victory. War is a reasonable thing to be afraid of. If you're fighting in a war, there are very realistic chances of you dying. And that would be very bad. The reason Joshua shouldn't be afraid is because God was with him. Let's look at Isaiah 51, 12 and 13. God speaking to the nation of Israel. I am the one who comforts you. Or, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies and the son of man who was made like grass and have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and who... You who fear continually all day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? God associated at this point in Israel's history them being afraid of their enemies with them forgetting God. He says at the beginning of this passage, who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and have forgotten the Lord your maker? He associates them together. The reason they were afraid, as afraid as they were, of their enemy nations is because they weren't taking God into account. They had forgotten God. Forgetting God, by the way, doesn't mean to literally forget that God exists. Like when someone talks to you, you know, uh, what has God been teaching you today? Who? Like, that's not what it means to forget God. Forgetting God means to not take him into consideration.
And it's easy to forget God. And when our fears are things that we're afraid of because we forget God or because we doubt him, that's a problem. The fifth way in which fear can be a bad thing. Fear becomes an issue when we have an ultimate fear of something. So, and when I say ultimate fear, I mean a fear that believes that if something bad, if this thing that I'm afraid of happened, it would be ultimately bad, or it would be bad in the end. As Christians, we're to acknowledge that nothing ultimately bad happens to us. Nothing bad in the end happens to God's children. Let's look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. As an example of how that plays out, let's look at Genesis 50 verse 20. Joseph speaking to his brothers after being reunited with them for like 50 years of being apart when he got sold into slavery. He says to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. So fear becomes a problem when we're afraid of something as if it were ultimately bad. As if it's bad in the end, as if it won't work out. Any fear that something ultimately bad will happen is a fear a Christian shouldn't have. Plenty of very bad things happen to us. They have and they will. That's life. But nothing that is ultimately bad ever has or ever will happen to a Christian, to one who's called according to God's purpose. Because God works everything together for good, for his people. So when we're afraid that something ultimately bad will happen, that's an issue. That's a fear that we shouldn't have. Or not to that level, at least. We shouldn't have a fear that something ultimately bad will happen. If we as Christians have a fear that something ultimately bad will happen, then our fears are coming from ignoring God. All right, so in conclusion, um, you know, in order to effectively lead your heart, you need to be able to discern what's in your heart, and you need to be able to figure out whether or not it's helpful or unhelpful. Anger and fear are both good things in and of themselves in their proper place and in their proper proportions. But hopefully this will be helpful in figuring out whether or not the emotions that you have on a daily basis are at times helpful or unhelpful. Uh, Next week we'll continue to talk about um, other emotions because we only got to two and I have like six or eight that I want to talk about that I think will help us with doing well at habit two, with discerning and judging what's in our hearts. Uh, So let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time um, to learn from your word. 
to be equipped, Lord. We thank you um, for giving us the capacity to have anger and the capacity to have fear, Lord. We pray that we would learn to use those capacities well. We pray that we would learn to lead our hearts and that we would know when fear is a good thing and when it's not a good thing. We pray that we would know when anger is a good thing and when it's not a good thing and how to control them, Lord. We pray that uh, you would just bless us with that and you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your grace and amen.